Hi, I'm Abby Gibb, and welcome to the Full Body Fuck Yes podcast, a Soulfire production. This is an investigation and honoring of who we get to become in the process of embodying our dreams. If you're a rule breaker, paradigm shifter, and movement maker of today, then this leadership podcast is for you. It's time to finally take up more room on the page of your life. Welcome to the Full Body Fuck Yes podcast. Hello, welcome back to another solo episode of the Full Body Fuck Yes podcast. And today I want to talk about the 10 toughest lessons I've learned in entrepreneurship so far. These are the kind of things I wish that people really talked about and not the whole like monetize your message. I've got the one unique secret. You only need this funnel. Stack the Lambos like total bro marketing bag of dick shit. Like this is the inner work and the really tough stuff because I feel that entrepreneurship in general has been one of my greatest mirrors to myself. I have a lot, (laughs) a lot of people who come to me and say, abs, I want you to make me famous, right? I want to be an influencer. And I'm like, all right, well, you've come to the wrong place because number one, this world does not need one more influencer. We do not need one more booty band skinny tea up in here, but I am here to help you be someone of influence in this world, influencing care and dignity, inclusivity, compassion, kindness that I'm down to do. Right. And something I say to every one of my clients or students is that you want to become really visible in this world, right? You want to pop above the noise. You want to become a household name. Well, tough titties. Cause here's the truth. You can only become more visible to the world that you're willing to be visible to yourself. I'll say that again. You can't be more visible to this world than you're willing to be visible to yourself. And that's what entrepreneurship has done for me. It's helped me to get really visible with myself. So all of these lessons are pieces of opportunity that I have taken hard fought lessons, messy lessons that I wish somebody else had said when I was first getting started and to where I am right now. So my entrepreneurial journey, everyone's doesn't look the same, right? So mine started like about six years ago or so. I started my own production company while I was still working at uh, NBC. I wanted to start to create more content, more mainstream TV shows that were about what women really wanted to see. And the first piece was after I was overcoming Lyme disease, I had gone back to school for holistic nutrition. And I wanted to take that knowledge, the science background, all of it, and put it together in a health show like Anthony Bourdain meets Rachel Ray, but with kale, you know? And it was called um, Travel Light, healthy hacks for the girl on the go. Pack the bags, not the pounds. (laughs) Okay, whatever. Just go with me on this one. So that was my very first one. Uh, As you can tell, I did not become her. So it didn't work out, right? Uh, And then from there, I started two more TV shows after that. And as you would be not surprised, every time I got right to signing the non-disclosure agreement, the NDA, uh, they've liked the treatment. They like the pilot. We've get all the way down there. And it's a table full of old white men a bunch of Jims and Bobs of the world 
who just didn't get it. And I felt like I was just banging my head against the wall and I was draining my bank account. And then I started my own business consulting, doing media consulting and something just clicked. Right. But What I want to demystify is that if you see me now, I'm not the person that started this journey. And these are very tough, hard won lessons. And that the person that you see me now running a successful business, I'm here with this kind of perspective because I'm standing on a pile of no's. No, you can't do this. No, thank you. We don't want to buy that thing. No, who do you think you are? No, sit down, shut up. I'm standing on those pile of no's that give me the perspective to give you these tough lessons I've learned today. And I'm really curious, by the way, over which one lands with you, which one would you agree, disagree? Which one did you need to hear? Which one are you going through right now? So don't forget to hit me up uh, on social and tag me on whatever lands the most in your heart today. And share this episode with somebody else that might be going through this too, right? Because the whole point of the podcast is so that you know that you're not alone in this crazy journey of life. Okay. So without further ado, the 10 toughest lessons I've learned in entrepreneurship so far in no particular order. Here is a numero uno. No one is going to believe in you like you believe in you, period. Not your partner, not your parents, not your very best friends not your random social media friends you've never actually met in real person and probably never will, not your dog walker's cousin, not your barista, nobody. Nobody is going to believe in you like you believe in you ever. So just get used to it and be careful about who you're sharing those dreams with. Because if I had shared some of my biggest dreams with anyone other than my mom, at the time, I I think that I wouldn't be here because she was the only one I knew I could trust to give really crazy ideas to. And she would say, you can do it. I don't know how, but I think you can. Right. So protecting and understanding that when you share a big dream and then it falls flat or you don't get the reaction that you want has so much more to do with the relationship and so much less to do with the dream especially when it comes to our friend groups. So usually our friends are going to be the very last people to buy our product, sign up for our thing, help promote it. Number one, because so many of us are born leaders and we've been leaders our whole lives. So everybody thinks that we have all this confidence or we've got it together. And so they don't need to support us. Like they don't do it to be mean. They just don't think we need it. So we have to actually ask like, hey, it would really mean a lot if you could fill in the blank, right? Come to my talk or buy my product or share it on social. So give them the opportunity. But then second, understand that this is a very painful truth. When you start to go for bigger dreams in your life and your friends stay silent, many times it's because you're reminding them of the places they're choosing to still stay small in their lives. And that doesn't feel good. And again, it has nothing to do with you. When I was going to create the consulting business, the coaching business, speaking business that I have now, I had $20,000 in savings. That was my runway. 
And I invested 11,000 of those dollars in a business coach and program for the first year of my business. And from the outside, that sounds crazy, right? I didn't have a single client, mind you. I didn't have a business. I didn't even exactly know what I was going to do. All I knew was that I had no plan B, that I had more than a decade's worth of experience, that I'd always figured it out before. And so I had a sneaking suspicion that I was going to figure it out this time. But those closest, and I mean closest to me, asked me not to do it. Just take a little time, rest, get used to living in your new town that you've just moved to. Why are you in such a rush? Because I had something to prove to myself. Because I had to. Because I knew I could. Because this was the time in my life. I knew I was being called And at first it was a whisper and then it was a scream to a point of deafening that this was what I was supposed to do. So I had to let everyone else down so I wouldn't let myself down. It was really painful. No one is going to believe in you like you believe in you. And that's okay. The second, and again, no particular order, but this one, well, shit. Here's the rock to my glass house. I am the kettle to the black. Like, holy crap, man. Number two, those looking for fame, and I use this in air quotes, are actually looking for self-validation. Many of our business goals come from deep trauma we have yet to face. Yeah, shit, right? I was so sure that having these TV shows was going to make me happy. I was so sure that if I could just get enough high ratings or followers or likes, it would mean that I was someone, that I existed, that I mattered in this world. After interviewing tens of thousands of people over my career as a journalist, I know that really people only want three things at the end of the day. We all just want to feel seen and heard and loved. I talk about this in my second TED Talk. Seen, right? That we even exist in this world. That you matter to someone. Heard that your voice matters. That you're listened to. That you're cared for. And then therefore loved. That if you share your truth, you won't be rejected for it. Yeah? But what we're really asking, first and foremost, is that we see, hear, and love ourselves first. It's like empty calories out there. It's not going to sustain you. It's not going to fill you up. So when we say, I just want to be famous. I just want to be a thought leader. I just want to be a household name. I just want fill in the blank. A TED Talk, New York Times bestselling book, Oprah to interview me. What are we really asking? We're asking many times, not always, please hear me, not always, but many times we're actually asking for self-validation. Is this finally enough? That little voice inside, I call it my gold star voice. 
That voice has been pushing me all of my life to achieve, achieve, achieve. It's never, ever enough. Fame, money, followers are not going to scratch the itch. You'll still be lost, unhappy, unseen, and unloved if you can't do it for yourself first. I know. So I just want you to look. I invite you with curiosity and not judgment to write down like the next five goals that you have personal business. Write them down. You can pause this episode, write them down and come back. Okay, cool. Welcome back. So you've written down five goals, big goals. And I want you to look at where did that goal come from? So if it's, I want to be a New York Times bestselling author. Why? Where did that goal come from? Eventually, you might notice that it's that you're like, I just want everyone to hear my story because I know it could be impactful. Okay, great. Let's unpack that even more. Why do you know it's impactful? Why do you know that everyone needs to hear it? Because it meant so much to me. Okay, great. And how many people need to hear it for it to matter? Yeah, but I know I can't. Let me ask you again. How many people need to hear it for that story to matter? One, 10, a thousand, million. Because unless we actually define these goals for what they really mean, They're ambiguous and we will never fulfill them. We'll never get a chance to look at the trauma that's asking to be healed in our very work. That's why I believe that our businesses can be a spiritual practice. That's why I believe that many times entrepreneurship can be some of the greatest and most healing acts we can do for ourselves if we're willing to look at where our goals and dreams are coming from. All right, next one. Success evolves over time. (laughs) Time. And no one can define what success looks like for you, especially not the person who first started the business or the book or the family or the job or whatever else you're considered a success in. No one can define what that looks like for you. And it evolves over time. I was so sure. I was so sure for so many years that I was going to be the greatest journalist of my generation, period. End of story. I was going to be a network news anchor by the time I was 30, period. I was so sure that I was also going to be a mother of between two and four. I thought three, I felt kind of bad. So I was like, gotta have an even number. Two or four kids. And that all of that meant success. I was also so sure that creating 
a million dollar production company was going to mean success. And I'm not saying that I was wrong at the time, but I, as a human being, evolved and redefined and gave myself the freedom to say, I really wanted that thing, but I don't any longer. Success now looks like something else. My business has evolved. My personal life has evolved. I don't want those things any longer. That's not what success means to me. Success to me is freedom. Success to me is a life on my own terms. Success to me is asking that my creative pursuits, which is this, a podcast and sharing on social media and writing books, don't have to pay the bills. I don't ask these things to also have financial success. As long as I show up here fully, as long as I show up here 100% truthful to myself in this season of my life, I am a success. That's how I define success today. And then I ask other aspects of my life, other aspects of my business to pay the bills. I don't ask them to give me the same creative freedom and outlet that I have here on this podcast. I don't ask them to be the same thing. And today that's my success. That I gave myself the luxury of getting to say whatever the fuck I want to say. (laughs) I chose not to go with a big, huge podcast contract where they would pay me to have a show because then somebody else would have creative control. And I've done this shit for too long under someone else under his eye, (laughs) under somebody else's ultimate vision. So success to me is the fact that I can say whatever the fuck I want. But it was a hard learned lesson. All right, next one. 10 toughest lessons I've learned in entrepreneurship so far. Number four, create 10 times as much content as you want to consume. Woo. It really helps with imposter syndrome. When people come to me and say, Sally Q, Susie May, Jimmy B, Tarana X, all are doing something that I'm not doing. I say, why are you scrolling so much? It really helps to put our blinders on and to stay focused on why we do what we do. When we create 10 times as much content, we don't have time to constantly be comparing ourselves. Now, when you can, from a healthy space, getting inspiration from other people, awesome, right? Learning new things, fantastic. But the moment I have noticed, and this is just for me, but the moment that I notice that the scale tips into I'm consuming more, my anxiety goes up. I start to get in my head and out of my heart. I start to think, who am I to try? Look at what they've already done. I think this shit all the time, by the way, please hear me. I am not like on some special mountaintop meditating my way through this process. (laughs) I'm in line at the grocery store going like, how come she doesn't have cellulite? And I do. Oh, the patriarchy is real. Oh, or like, how does he have that thing? And I don't, whatever, whatever the fucking bullshit is. We all have it. So then I just get back to my creative outlets and I create 
And that puts me back into my feminine. And I love to talk about the masculine and the feminine a lot. On this podcast, we're going to explore that more about what that means to be embodied in both of those energies has nothing to do with gender or sexual orientation, everything to do with energies within us and creating alchemy for us. And everybody is unique in what percentage that looks like. But when we start to step in more to our feminine, which most leaders have a more difficult time doing because we were raised in a very masculine dominated world. So especially if you are a woman, you have been raised in a society that sees many of those pieces of you as a weakness. So I like to rewrite that script. When we step back into our feminine, that is our creative energy. That's where we love to give. That's where we love to communicate, to connect. So when we're consuming, we're probably back into our head. We're in our masculine. And when we get too far into our masculine, imposter syndrome comes up. But honestly, when we get too far into our feminine, we can have imposter syndrome too. So creating creating, creating more than consuming. Next one, fear is normal, but also selfish. Yep. Your fear, my fear is selfish. It is totally normal to have fear consistently. I've never done this thing before. What will they think? I don't know if I can. How will I be able to pay for this thing? What if it doesn't go well? What if no one comes? Fear is totally normal. But when we stop at fear, then it's selfish because there are thousands, millions, maybe even billions of people that need your special gift, your idea, your story. I promise you that there is someone today having one of the darkest toughest moments of their life. I promise that you have already gone through and have a roadmap that would help that person. And although you don't deserve to have had the event happen that made you so strong, that gave you that roadmap, it does heal to give it to someone else. I don't deserve to have gone through domestic violence. I don't deserve to have gone through horrific chronic illness. I don't deserve to have gone through physical and emotional abuse for years. I don't deserve those things. It's not my fault. I don't have shame around them anymore, but I'll be damned if I don't talk about them because there is someone today who thinks it still is her fault, who thinks she's the only one, who thinks that the pain inside is going to eat her alive, who thinks she's broken, who thinks she's unworthy of love, who thinks she's never actually going to be a success because she's had so many failures. I will not let my personal fear Stop me from sharing my truth. If for no one else than the one person who needed to hear it today. Not any longer. I lived in fear for so long. I lived in fear for so long. 
I won't do it any longer. And you don't have to either. Fear is normal. But you are so much more than your fear. You are brilliant. And you are brave. And you're worthy of sharing that. Here we go. Criticism isn't always bad. As long as it's constructive and coming from someone who is living and building a life you want. Ding, 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 ding. That is the component. All right. When people ask me, how do you deal with trolls, abs? Like, yeah, trolls are going to come. Criticism every fucking day. Are you kidding me? On TV, it used to be like, your left eye's weird. I don't like your lip color. Uh, why do you wear those pants? You, you say this one word weird and I don't like it. I mean, every fucking day somebody had an opinion, <laughs> a critique. And I really listened. Oh. I listened way more than I wish I would have. I listened for so long about exactly how I should look, how I should sound, how I should live. I wanted to be the good girl. I wanted to do it all right. I wanted to check the boxes. I wanted to be seen and heard and loved. And when maybe you were like me and had a childhood where one of your parents was really critical, um, I had my father who was really unstable emotionally around me. And so I became an immediate people pleaser. Um, I hug on his every word. I wanted to make sure that I, you know, I walked on eggshells, making sure that I didn't upset him, that I did all the right things. And I learned to place his opinions and critiques higher than my own as a way to survive. And I didn't release that until just a few years ago. It was like 20 years of learning how to undo that. And that meant that sometimes when I, there was healthy criticism, I boffed at it. I didn't listen. I fought back. I was difficult to coach for quite a while as I was trying to find my own way in business. What I've discovered is that it can be really helpful because we can't always see what we don't see, right? We don't know what we don't know. As long as it's from somebody that actually is giving you advice that walks the walk and is living the life that you want to emulate, which is why it comes back to you personally being able to define what success and happiness looks like for you in this season of your life. Then the critique is welcome and has been a really beautiful part, to be honest, of dismantling my perfectionism and people-pleasing tendencies. Hi, my name is Abby Gibb, and I'm a recovering people pleaser. (laughs) 
So that's been a really huge part, to be honest. I've healed a lot by taking healthy criticism, and I would have never expected that. So I welcome you today to ask for more feedback. If you have a really close friend that you admire, um, if you have a coach, if you're in a program, if you even just have some other close colleagues, ask for some healthy criticism. It has really helped me to grow. I wasn't ready for any criticism or feedback on my first TED talk because just getting up there took enough gall and I didn't really need anybody else's opinion or advice at that point. This was a really, this was something I needed to do just for me. But on my second one, I asked for a lot of criticism and I was really open to it. And not only do I believe that it made that speech a hundred times better, but I grew as a leader in my ability to separate my worth from my work. And having the criticism of my work did not directly reflect my worth any longer. And I am a healthier, better person because of it. So I wish that for you. Hustle culture is toxic as fuck. But there's another way to do it. That's my song for the day. It's being embodied in our work, playing an intrinsic game. You do not have to hustle for your worth. You are already intrinsically worthy. You are incredible just as you are. If you are not a morning person, do not wake up at 4 a.m. That's a bag of dicks. If you are on your period, you are going to be more tired and irritable. Build your schedule around your cycle. You are not a 7-Eleven available 24 hours a day to this world. No, you are not. Period. The email, the text, the social post, they can wait. They can all wait. We all have to learn to wait. Hustle culture is toxic as fuck. This, I get up at 4 a.m. I balance my chakras and I slam a collagen gold-dusted shaman blessed smoothie. I write my 12 goals and visualize them for the day. And then I get cracking. I make life my bitch. Like what? Seriously? Really? Read the room. It's 2021. Like, come on now. How do we become more embodied in our work? I would say first, we need to learn to wait. We need to learn to wait. And ask ourselves, more intrinsically, what is it that we really want today? What makes me come alive? I'm going to read you this poem. The world needs to learn to wait. I need to learn to wait. For days like this, for a man like this, 
Soak it up like the fresh bread does the aged olive oil I share with him. Wait to let the motorbikes and neck kisses wake me up far after sunrise. Wait for afternoons spent walking aimlessly for cups of coffee, hand in hand with a man I fall in love with more by the hour. I need to learn to wait for a career I've handcrafted affording me true luxuries, like working behind a computer in a cafe that serves kava and smiles with ease, the same way I give my heart every time he calls me darling. The world needs to wait before it's so sure what I should do or be. I need to wait before I listen. That poem was written when I lived in Barcelona with my soon-to-be husband for a month. And it was one of the most, and I air quote this, successful months of my business. In fact, actually, monetarily, it really was. And it showed me (laughs) how much I had been striving, how sure yet again I was of what was going to actually make me happy in this world. And if our success isn't synonymous with happiness, then what the fuck are we doing? Right? So there I was. Living in Barcelona with this gorgeous man building this business going like, is this my life? While writing a TED talk, like that was my life at that moment. A year earlier, I was Oprah ugly crying. (laughs) If you heard the the other solo episode, I was Oprah ugly crying on the kitchen floor. I had just said me too. Like what the actual fuck? This is my life? Hustle culture did not get me there. Nobody but me playing an intrinsic game of what made me come alive in that season of my life. That's what I mean. Pause. Ask yourself. And then move from inside, not out there. Nobody has the answers. Only you do. Only you will know. Next one. Every no gets you closer to your yes. Woo. This was told to me by a woman that I interviewed on a show I created called Bossify, which was investigating what success means to women during the women's movement. And she said, Name was Cora. And she said, every no gets you closer to your yes. And it fucking blew my mind. Blew my mind. And here's why. It's really two sides to a coin. The first side is that when we feel confused and we're not sure exactly what to take as our, quote, right next step, ask yourself what you don't want to do. (laughs) Every no gets you closer to the yes. So right now, if you're feeling like, I don't know if I should build this course or have another baby or write this book or grow my speaking career, whatever it is, honestly, it doesn't fucking matter. Write a list of everything you definitely don't want and it will bring you more clarity. The other side of it is that embrace the nose. The nose are beautiful. It's my least favorite word, but unfortunately it's been one of my greatest teachers. No, for sure. Fuck, but true. I got not one, 
not 10, not 12, not 15, not 18, even 20. I got 20 no's before I got my first yes for a TED talk. And then in three months, I landed three talks. Imagine if I had stopped at 18. Imagine I have stopped at 19 no's. Imagine. I wouldn't be here. Uh, Nothing of what I am today. I wouldn't be here. Ted changed my life. Ted gave me my life. I started my life speaking from me started that day on that stage. Imagine if I had taken that 18th no and packed it up and gone home. And I'm not saying it's easy. I cried. Are you kidding me? When you're here saying like, okay, so this is my entire life story. Uh, I think it's worthy and a good idea to talk about how to break up to break through. Been through kind of a lot. Think that this is going to be pretty good. Um, I've been speaking my whole life, done some pretty big live shots. I'm prepared to do TED. And they go, yeah, that's great. Um, No. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a hard pass. Oh, thanks for applying. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. That's special. It's just not so special. It's a fucking bikini wax of the soul. Are you kidding me? It's awful. I'm not sugarcoating the nose. But every no does get you closer to your yes. And this is not a Hallmark card. It's just for those days when you really want to throw in the towel. And I get it. I really do. I really do. You're launching a new program. And you get 13 no's on sales calls. It might be. Just an opportunity to change up some of your language, your sales language, your proposal for your book deal, whatever, wherever you're at in your life. It's an opportunity to pause, to maybe pivot a little bit. But every part of that is giving you information that's going to make it closer to get the yes. That I know for sure. I wish somebody had said, though, to expect the amount of no's. to learn and embrace the no because fuck it's a lot of no's two more in the 10 toughest lessons i've learned in entrepreneurship so far in my career people make different decisions in survival mode versus thriving let that sit for a second so you might choose to create something in your business You might choose to stay in a relationship. You might choose to have a friendship that really is based on survival, just getting through. Okay. Once you start thriving, those relationships might die, and that's okay. The choices that you make when you're thriving, are so different. The decisions that I made in survival mode had about a a lifespan of a week. (laughs) You know, I was just just trying to, to pay the bills and keep everything afloat. I wasn't, I didn't have the privilege of really focusing on personal growth. I didn't have the luxury of a ton of self-care. I wasn't able to scale 
my business and hire the people I knew that I really could, that could help me. I was in survival mode and that's okay. But once I'm in thriving mode, the decisions that I make need to shift. They get to shift. I suddenly have the privilege. I suddenly have the luxury of working on myself more, of hiring out pieces of my business, of asking for support, of having only friendships with other people who are choosing to consistently thrive in their life. And that's okay. That's okay. The last one. It is not a matter of if we have privilege, but how we're going to use it for good. Everyone has privilege, some more than others. I was just speaking about the privilege of thriving, the privilege of being able to have more support in your business and self-care relationships that also are building you up and not tearing you down. Those are privileges. Of course, there are lots of other privileges. Hands down, point blank, race plays a card. If you are a white person in America, you have privilege. If you are a white woman in America, you have privilege. When this world listens to women, they historically listen to white women. So I ask, was it really manifesting or was it white privilege? Did you just manifest these goals and build this business from scratch by yourself? Yeah, maybe a portion of it. But another portion is that you have Europeanly designed features that make you quote pretty. Maybe you're thin, attractive, well-spoken. Those aren't faults of yours, but understand that they are privileges. And when you turn around and speak to someone else and just say, okay, just follow my 10 step rule without considering race, your privileges, the way that people look, the traumas that they've had in the past, you're doing more harm than good. And I know that you want to do good in this world. I know that's why you're listening to this podcast. I know that's why you're a leader. So asking yourself today a really honest question of where do I have privilege? And in those spaces, where can I amplify, support, be an advocate for, and an ally to humans that don't look like me, that don't sound like me? that might not have the opportunities that I do. Maybe that's where you offer a scholarship program. Maybe that's where when you get a speaking opportunity, you ask the organizers, are there any people of color here? Because I will not speak at an event that doesn't actually represent the way the world looks. And if your quote diversity is having one white woman on the panel, and a bunch of white dudes, that's not diversity. 
I'm not going to do that. If you have a brand deal and the models are all cis, white, skinny, what does that say about what everyone else is commercially accepted, pretty, powerful, worthy? So just taking a beat, being honest and saying we all have it, okay? Every single one of us in some way has privilege. So just the matter of how are you going to use it for good, consistently moving forward. That's what it means to be a leader in 2021. That's what it means for each of us to truly be a part of this paradigm shift that's happening. We can do it. We just have to be honest first and foremost. That's the first step. So these are the 10 toughest lessons I've learned in entrepreneurship. I'm really excited to hear which one landed in your heart the most today. Which one would you feel like everyone needs to hear? Which one do you feel like you disagree with? I love those. And what should I add? Let me know. Go ahead and leave a review of the podcast and shoot me a comment over on Instagram. I can't wait. Sending you so much love. Thanks for listening. If you've ever dreamed of sharing your story on the world's most sought after stage, then this is your sign to fucking go for it. I have personally given two TEDx talks to more than a million views and helped so many others do the same. My course, How to Land and Embody Your First TEDx Talk, will teach you everything you need for not only how to craft your talk, but also land it and spread it with ease. It's on sale today. The link is in the show notes and also on my Instagram. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Full Body Fuck Yes podcast with me, Abby Gibb. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And it would mean the world if you leave a review so others know how kick-ass these episodes are. And I'm a real person over on Instagram. So tag me in an IG story at Abby Gibb and let me know what landed in your heart the most today. Thanks again for listening.